was a story told by Philip Parham of a rich industrialist. He was he had given his life over, he made a lot of money, spent a lot of time. This rich industrialist had been married a number of times and just different things. And he would went to the Caribbean on vacation. And he found a man sitting on the beach and just kind of lazing by his boat. And the rich industrials walked over to this young man. He said, why aren't you fishing? And the fisherman said, because I've caught enough fish today, mom. He said, well, why don't you catch more fish than you need, asked the rich man. He said, well, why would I do that? So you could earn more money, the rich man implied impatiently. And buy a better boat so you could deep sea, uh, go deeper and catch more fish. And then you could buy nylon nets and even catch more fish. And be rich like me. And the fisherman said, then why would I do that? So the industrialist said, so you could sit down then and enjoy life. And the young fisherman looked at him kind of puzzled and said, well, what do you think I'm doing now? In life, there has to be a balance. There's always the balance of having things. And I'm deliberately preaching this before Black Friday. Because in our nature, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want, we want. I've shared with you before, my parents used to get the Sears catalog. Now, I have to explain this to some people who are younger, but catalogs used to come, they used to, it was thick. It was, it was like a, I can't even say a telephone book because telephone books aren't thick, but it used to be this thick book. And it used to be every product that Sears offered. Now, at this time, Sears was the biggest retailer in the world. They were the Amazon, Walmart, uh, all rolled into one. There was no internet. There was no anything like that. So it was the Sears catalog. My, my brother and I would get it. We would skip all the clothes because who cared about clothes? We would go straight for the toys, which were always in the back of the book. We would skip the Barbie dolls and that kind of stuff, and we would just start circling what we wanted. Circle, 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 every page, right? There was something on every page. What do you want? We want this. We want that. It's in our hearts. There is a godly desire to push forward, to want to have, to be blessed. But when that overtakes our lives, you'll never be content. And so I want to talk to you about the great gift of contentment. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, Yet truly godliness with contentment is in uh, itself a great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. 
And we, can, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. I want to talk to you firstly about the unsettled heart that many people have. In our day, the thought of having, we have, we, you know, there are the minimalists now, and this has become a movement now. How much can I do away with and still function? And even a minimalist today would be wildly more blessed than most people who have ever lived. Wildly have more things. But there's this unrealistic expectation that people have, especially the younger people of our day, where they want to have, 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 and they're never happy with what they have. You know, my iPhone 7 worked really well. It never really gave me any problems, but they stopped updating it, so I had to get, and they gave me a new one with a free plan and this kind of thing, so I just took it. But you know what? I'm not dying to get the iPhone 14. Or the latest Pixel Google camera or the latest Samsung that people will stand in line for hours upon hours to get. We live in a day when people aren't satisfied with what they have. They've got to have more. They've got to have difference. The word contentment actually... uh, that is used refers to a state of mind, literally a calmness or a satisfied feeling. It comes from the freeing of murmuring and complaining. Isn't it amazing? We, you know, if you've ever gotten a new car, and I don't mean a brand new car like drove off the dealership kind of car, but if you've gotten a new car, you know, And you get that at first, right? Nobody's going to eat French fries in the back seat, right? Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to, I'm going to wash this every day. But after a little while, what happens, right? You know, I heard a comedian once say, you know, if you've got kids and you've got a couple of car seats in the back and you pull them out, if you raped your hand through the crack of the seat there and pulled it out, got rid of the Band-Aid, the quarter, and the lint, you'd have a good handful of trail mix, wouldn't you? Right? It's just like, that's the way it is. And so, but at first, it's like, no, no, we're going to be very careful. Life is like that because we become very unsatisfied with life, with what we have, who we are, where we are, nothing begins to seem to be good enough. Advertisers play on this. If you look at even car commercials, they've changed a little bit, but for a long time, it had nothing to do with the car. It had to do with a feeling. It had to do with a, a reputation. It had to do with a appearance. Advertisers try to get you to believe that you need this. Your life, this will make your life complete. How could you have functioned these some odd years that you've lived on planet Earth without this thing? How could that be possible? And to give you the un, the feeling of discontentment. My wife and I, when we were in Holland, we, we rented a couple of hotel rooms with, I had some 
some points, and you, you guys know how much I, I collect points and things, miles and all sorts of things. But anyway, I had some points with some hotels. I got a couple of hotel rooms really cheap, and we had our grandkids, and we ended up keeping our grandkids all in our room, and my you know, daughter and son-in-law stayed in their room, and, and we had the kids, and we were all, it was a great time. We were happy with them, and it was fun. We, they wanted to turn on the television, of course. They did turn on some cartoons. But what I was amazed of was the, car, was the advertisements for these children gearing this, this dollhouse, this toy, this toy, this toy, this toy. You can't, you got to have this, this, that, and that. And of course, before too long, they're like, I want that. I want that. And they're saying that because they know Papa's in the room. And they know they can yank on them heartstrings. And it doesn't even take that much to pull on them before, you know, I open like a parachute and go, sure, whatever you want. So they know that. But when I'm looking at these things and they're showing the price, I'm going, not a chance. Not a chance that that's going to happen. But these things that people begin to chase after, some will even go in massive debt to achieve something that they think. Now, be honest with you. Be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. How many of you ever bought something that you thought this was going to be great? You got it home and you never used it again. You thought, oh, this, this, it's life. Hebrews 13, 15, uh, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Do not love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear what people can do with me. Again, I understand the desire to have something new or better is not wrong. That, you know what, if you're still using, you know, uh, you know Windows 95, it's probably time to upgrade. I get that. But I also understand that, you know what, the desire to have the latest, the greatest, the desire to have more and more can actually be just because it's a reflection of your heart that you're not satisfied with life. This will bleed into other areas. It can bleed into your relationships. My problem is my spouse. So therefore, if I got a new spouse... I would be in better condition. Well, let me tell you, in marriage, you're going to find out that you are you. That's the way it works. So the question why we are so easily contented, discontented has to be addressed. First and foremost, sin is a major dissatisfaction of life. Sin always promises great things and delivers none of them. It will deliver temporary. It will deliver maybe momentary pleasures or satisfaction. But in the long run, it always, always, always leaves you worse off than when it started. Think about Eve. Here's Eve. What did the devil do to Eve? Got her to come. Hey, come here. We're going to talk about this fruit 
that will make you wise. It will open your eyes. You'll be like God. It will be a great thing. I mean, this is the original salesman, isn't it? Yo, Eve, come here, come here. Listen, I got a deal for you. Do I have a deal for you? I'm telling you, this is going to change your life. I mean, you think you've got it good now. I mean, the garden paradise relationship with God. Listen to this and listen, this is even better. And yet, it was far worse. It ripped her off in the end. Literally, the tree she, he was told would liberate her mind, her body, and her spirit. And it actually brought death to her mind, her body, and her spirit. Ecclesiastics is a very interesting book. It is a book written from a very worldly perspective. It is written by King Solomon. And it has some proverbs and some stories in it that are interesting. But for a lot of his life, he was not right. Wise? Absolutely. But any man that has 700 wives and 300 concubines has a lust issue. Can we just be honest here? That's a lust issue. That's a real problem that he has. That is not the fact that there are pretty women everywhere. There always have been pretty women everywhere, and there always will be. It's not their fault that they're pretty. Ecclesiastes 2, it starts out in verse 1, it says, And I, will, I, I said to myself, come and I will try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found this, too, to be meaningless. It's very pessimistic. He goes on to say, I sought after pleasure. I, sought, I tried to experience happiness, but I found this was brief. In this life, in this world, I tried building big homes for myself, building big vineyards. I made gardens and parks and filled them with all kinds of trees. I had reservoirs to collect water. I put in uh, 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 groves. I put in. I had slaves. I had men and women brought to who were born in my household. I owned large herds, flocks. As many kings that lived in Jerusalem before me, I collected uh, great sums of silver and gold and treasure and proverbs. Uh, I had both wonderful singers of men and women. I had beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. But uh, he says in verse 9, So I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed. Anything I wanted, I would take. I, I denied myself no pleasure. And found great pleasure in hard work and the rewards of the labor. But I looked at everything that I had worked and accomplished. And it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There's nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And he goes on to be not any more cheery than that for the rest of the book. You can give yourself to chase after things. But dissatisfaction comes from your heart not from what you have. I have been in third world nations and seen people with far less 
than you and I would have in one room and be far more happy, far more blessed. Also, you can't, con- you can't be content without the promises of God, without salvation, without a relationship with God. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, he said, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. For I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty, whether it is plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So it starts, it goes on to say the fact that Paul writes and he says for godliness, and we're going to talk about that, but godliness is literally trying to be like God. Not in the sense that Eve and the Mormons believe, but in the sense of trying to live a life pleasing to God. If you're trying to live a life pleasing to God, you will be content with a great portion of of life. There are some things in life we shouldn't be content with. I'm not content that sinners are going to hell. That should never leave us content. Well, they deserve it. They voted for this guy or that guy. Whatever. So what is godliness? One translation says that it's it's Humility, it's religion. It, it's the meaning of a real relationship that should be regarded with the greatest and as the most valuable acquisition. Another commentary wrote the word here in several places in the epistle signifies Christianity. He goes on to saying being content or righteousness has to do with God in our lives. So it has to do with two areas that some people put away. And that is, one is, does it matter how I live? Does it matter? Does it matter? I mean, I'm a Christian. Back years ago, they used to have a drink called Dr. Pepper. They still have Dr. Pepper. Some people like pepper, but I never did. But my wife does or did. When we drank fizzy drinks. But they used to have this commercial where they would sing a song. I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? Dr. Pepper, drink Dr. Pepper. Some of you remember that. I can tell by the looks on your face. All right? Some people treat Christianity like that. I'm a Christian, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, you're a Christian. Wouldn't you like to be a Christian too? Like, hey... Christianity is seen in your lifestyle. As one man wrote, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? One comedian used to say, yeah, they know I was a Christian. I was kind of a Bible addict. They could tell because they saw my tracks. needle marks. Anyway, magazines that you pass out. But anyway, there are lots of people who don't even know what they believe. When I was in Lithuania, it's very interesting. 
how this communist country, highest alcoholism rate in the European Union, highest suicide rate in the European Union, known for not working well, known for their thievery. You would read constantly in the papers of organized criminal rings that often were linked to Lithuania. And they tell you it's a Christian nation, man. Everybody's a Christian. Somehow what they believed and the way they lived had nothing to do with each other. Godliness starts with the way that you and I conduct our lifestyle. It is reinforced by things like coming to church and prayer and reading your Bible. That's a strength in it. Psalms 32 and verse 6 Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not be drowned in the floodwaters of judgment. Godliness also means you have convictions that you have set in your heart things are right and things are wrong. Now, there will be some convictions that will be general. We could all agree that murder would be wrong. I hope we can. Murder. Well, what if you kill somebody in war? That's not murder. What if it's self-defense? It's not murder. Okay? Murder is that I just decide that I don't like you, so therefore I'm going to kill you. Simple as that. Murder. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are right. We settle that in our hearts. Now, that can be general, and that can be personal. There are some things that I have personal convictions that I think, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm not going to do that. Can a believer do it and still be a believer? Well, maybe. But I'm not going to do it. Do you have convictions? Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we who are instructed to turn to godliness, live in, uh, godly, uh, to, and we who are instructed to turn from godless living to, and sinful pleasures, that we should not live in this evil world, but live with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. We're changed. Lifestyle and what we believe in our hearts. This is why nine times Paul uses the term godliness in the book of 1 Timothy. He talks about it needing to be exercised, to be used, to be strengthened. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, do not waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wise tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefit in this life and in life to come. We all know that physical exercise is good. I don't have to tell this church. You guys would be playing soccer today if you could actually get the grass defrosted. I know that. 
right? I do know that, right? It's not an issue of people knowing whether physical exercise is good or not. But honestly, it takes discipline. It takes work. In the next couple of months, right after Christmas, we'll go, all the health clubs will go on sale because they know they will make their money in January and February. New Year's resolutions. I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to do what's right, you know. And we know it's a good thing to do. It's just, it's too much work. I would work out if it just didn't involve the pain and time and other issues. Godliness is something that takes some discipline. You have to work at it. You have to strengthen it. You have to want it. 1 Timothy three fifteen and 16. So if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, whose pillar and foundation, uh, who is, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Without question... This is a great mystery of faith. Christ was revealed in a human body, vindicated in the spirit, seen of angels, announced to the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into heaven, into glory. This probably was a song, and that in a nutshell is godliness. That Christ became a man so you and I can live a God-pleasing life. God became a man so that you and I can take on the attributes of God and have that working in our lives. When we're born again, we take on a different nature. We take on a different person. Without godliness, we drift. When there is no lifestyle or conviction, we drift. Second, uh, First Timothy chapter 2, now I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf, giving thanks. Pray for kings and in our authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. He goes on to say in verses 8, and, 8 through 10 of First Timothy 2, and in every place worship, I want men to lift up Holy hands to God, free of anger and controversy. I want women to be modest in their appearance and to wear decent and appropriate clothing, not to draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or wear pearls or gold or expensive clothes. For the women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attracted by doing good things or literally by showing godliness should affect every part of our lives. So Paul talks about this, and he brings the great issue of contentment. And the major focus he brings in on this is the issue of eternity. He says here that we brought nothing with us into the world, and we can't take anything when we leave. There's the old story of the man who had $15 million. And he told, I want to be buried with my money. So he got a lawyer 
a Catholic priest and a Jewish rabbi to come to his bed. And he said, gentlemen, I don't trust any one of you. I have not lived a good life whatsoever. And I want to take my money with me. So I'm going to give you each $5 million in cash. And you are personally to put it in my coffin. So the day comes and they all walk up with a little bag. And they put it in there. Probably a big bag, I don't know. Put it in the coffin with them. And on the way from the funeral home to the graveside, the Catholic priest says, I have to confess, I got a letter from an orphanage. They needed a new roof. And a monastery needed some help. And I only put four million in there. And the Jewish rabbi says, oh, I have to confess too. I got a call. There were some refugees coming out of Russia. They needed housing, and so I sent them some money, and I needed to do this, and they were moving back to Israel, and so and I only had $3 million to put in there. And the lawyer who was driving the car looks at them and goes, I'm totally shocked by both of you that you, were, that you would do that. I said, did you put all the money in there? He said, absolutely. I wrote him a check for the entire amount. You can't take it with you. Nothing you have, you can take with you, except your memories and your spirit. What you've done, who you've become. That's what you take with you. He's putting this in perspective because the impact is eternal. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, he says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see. We rather fix our gaze on the things which cannot be seen. For we know that now these will soon be gone, but those things that we cannot see will last forever. And he compares four different things there. He compares the light trial affliction that he's going through to the glory that it's going to produce. He compares the short time that we're going through, whatever issues we're going through, to the vastness of eternity. He compares the seen to the unseen. He compares troubles with glory. It's amazing understanding there that he had the eternal perspective. It was Jonathan Edwards who preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in Enfield, Connecticut, that brought on revival, what they called the first great American awakening. The second one began here in Rochester with Charles Finney. But the first great awakening, he, Edwards was heard praying. He was fasting for three days. He was praying, God, stamp eternity on my eyelids. I want to see eternity every time I blink. I want to see eternity when I close my eye. I want to know what that's about. Some of you are young and you can't imagine 
how quick life seems to go by when you get older. I look at some of the babies around here and I think, I remember when I brought home babies and now my babies are having babies and like they're 30-something years old. And it's like, wow, how'd that happen? I look at my in-laws, I look at my mother and I think, man, they got old. How did that happen? And I didn't. And I look in the mirror and realize I can't deny it. First Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage against the soul. It's a danger that Peter is writing to warn us about. This is why contentment is a great gift. Because if you're content with, okay, and again, it's not bad to buy something new. It's not bad to want something new. It's not bad to replace something that's breaking. That's not what I'm saying. But is that where you get your satisfaction in life? Your identity? Who you are? What you're worth? Or does it come from Christ? When we were living in Prescott Valley, there was not too far from our road, our house, was a street that uh, I think probably three or four families of the church live on. Uh, At least three or four that I know of. One of them, she used to cut my hair. So we used to drive down, and she actually lived at the end of it. And across the street from one of the other families on the, in the church that lived there was a hoarder. And his house caught on fire. He got out with a few burns, but it had, the fire department had ripped it open and thrown stuff out. And you could drive by. They actually put a chain link fence around. It was so bad because of all the stuff that was in there. You could drive by and see all of this stuff, this clutter. I, you know, who knows what he had in there? Bags full of garbage, you know, big green garbage bags full of stuff. Filling rooms. He lived by himself, three-bedroom house, full. Every room was full. They condemned it, and actually, they had to eventually tear the house down. It wasn't that it was damaged beyond repair from the fire. It was just damaged beyond repair from his neglect. Spiritually speaking, are you content or are you a hoarder? Peter reminds us that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Unexpectedly. And the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the elements will disappear in fire and everything on earth that will be found to deserve judgment. Since since everything around us is going to be destroyed, what holy and godly lives should we live? Looking forward to the day of God, hurrying it along on the day when God will set the heaven heavens on fire, the skies on fire, and the elements will melt away in flame. He says, you know what? It all comes. I close with this. I was speaking with a man. His name is Eric. Pastors of church. In our fellowship in 
Kenya. In 2009, Kenya erupted in tribal conflict. Now, it's hard for us to understand this in, in the United States and the way we live now, but in Africa, and, and actually in lots of parts of the world, Africa is one of them, but, but South America can be like this, Southeast Asia can be like this as well. People are very loyal to their tribe. This is their descendants, the people they came from. When their countries get all cut up, they were basically cut up by Europeans. And they were forced into lines. There's actually one nation, the Gambon, which is literally a nation that is simply, it's a long, thin nation in Africa because that's how far the gunboats could fire. That was it. And so the English carved out this little area on this river that uh, took it from the French and made a nation of it that has nothing to do with the way that the people of Africa used to live. Kenya's like that. And so it erupted in political violence back in 2008, 2009, and was devastating. Thousands of people were killed And it was just very frightening. I was talking with Eric. Eric had married. Eric was a member of one tribe. And he had married a girl from the other tribe. And they were pastoring a church. In his church, he had both tribes in there. And he's trying to not excite this political. It wasn't like Rwanda and the massive. But it was very bad. It was very dangerous. But he remembers seeing a man. A man he had witnessed to, a man that lived near the church. He had spoke with this man many times. And this man said, I'm not, I don't want to serve God. I, I want to just have my entertainment. I just want to, and he bought, you know, he lives in this little house, this little, you know, squatter house that's kind of been evolved in such tin and corrugated metal, a lot of it and such. So this is what I want. But he bought himself a big old television, a big old satellite, put it on his roof, watching. Well, in the midst of all of this craziness, his house burned. His television. When I had spoke with Eric after this in 2010, right after all of this had happened, I asked Eric, I said, did you ever get to talk to the man? He said, no. But I really do look forward to the day when I can ask him. You didn't want to serve God because you wanted this and that and that and this. And it all burned away. You lost it all anyway. There were Christians who lost everything. They went on to serve God. There are no insurances like we have. If your house burns here today and you don't have renter's insurance, you need to get it. If you own your house, you have homeowner's insurance, it will cover it. They don't have anything like that there. If they do, it's way cost prohibitive for most people. They would just lose. But there were people, they lost everything. They started over. They were going to serve God no matter what. That's the spirit that Paul is writing to. It's okay to have things. Enjoy your stuff. Enjoy what you have. But be content. Don't let your stuff own you. Own your stuff and be able to walk away. 
say, you know what, that's fine, but I don't need that. I don't need... Whatever. And God will bless your life. Because godliness with contentment, very valuable. A wealth beyond. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this evening. Maybe you're not right with God. You know, one thing that is guaranteed, sin, as I mentioned, will always bring total discontentment. You'll always be dissatisfied in life. Because you, you can't be satisfied. Its nature will always, always, always leave you empty and dry. God wants to touch your life. He wants to do a miracle for you. And if you're here this evening, you're not right with God. You've come to the end. You've said, you know what? I need something else in life. Maybe you've even thought of taking your own life. Because you know what? Is there an answer? There is an answer. It's Jesus. And if you'll simply come to Jesus, he will change you. He'll cause you to be born again. He'll, he'll cause you to have hope and grace. If you'll turn from your sins and turn to him, he will. He will help you. And if you're here and that's you this evening, would you slip up your hand very quickly? Say, pray for me. I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I need Jesus. Very quickly. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. Maybe you're backslidden. You're away from God. Maybe it was just this issue, discontentment. Took you away from what God had for your life. And you realize now you need to come back. Slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me. Changing the call then to Christians. Godliness has to be exercised. Just like physical exercise, there has to be some disciplines that you do. Your Bible's not going to read itself. Your prayers aren't going to be said just because you thought about maybe one day going to prayer or whatever. It takes a discipline to do that. To make those priorities in your life that you can exercise yourself to help God's work in your life. If you fill yourself with God, you will be far more content in life and be blessed in that realm and not have to worry about others. And again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to buy a house and have nice things. That's not what it is. It's what owns you and what do you own. Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to sing a song, worship his name, above all powers, above all Above all powers, above all
thank him this evening. Father, we love you, God.